This is not my sermon, but I just was struck by the third verse of, 304, of hymn 304. As Christ breaks bread and bids us share, each proud division ends. That love that made us makes us one, and strangers now are friends. I just, I like that. So I just thought I'd repeat it. Now onward. Well, if you were listening to the passages of Scripture being read this morning, and even the psalm that we read together, you may have felt like you had deja vu. A vineyard, a vineyard, a vineyard, a vineyard, a vineyard, a vineyard, right? And in fact, for the past few weeks, we've been talking about vineyards. Now, in college, I was fascinated by how often Jesus talked about vineyards. I was fascinated by how often vineyards come into play in Scripture. And I even changed my minor uh, to study wine for a little while. I know, right? And as I studied wine, I became fascinated by the complexity and beauty of wine. Wine is amazing, but it's amazing because you and I, as God's creatures, God's creation, we are amazing. You see, we can only taste five or maybe six flavors. The jury is out as to how many flavors we can actually taste, which is amazing. We're so complex, we don't even know how many flavors we can taste. But we know we can taste salty, and we can taste bitter and sweet and sour. Uh, we can taste spicy, but that's not actually a flavor. That's actually an allergic reaction that we're having. We can also taste a sixth flavor called freshness. We can taste whether when we bite into an apple or a banana, if it's past its prime or if it's rotting. And even still, we can smell thousands of fragrances. And in fact, you can be transported back to a moment in your life by a simple fragrance. You might smell a mahogany floor and brownies at the same time and immediately be transported back to three years old in your grandmother's house. You might smell something foul and remember a time when you were uh, maybe helping someone on the mission field or taking out the trash or in an uncomfortable situation. I wonder what the temple smelled like on the morning that Jesus spoke the parable for this morning. You see, today we are hearing a parable that was spoken on Monday morning of Holy Week. It is the day after the triumphal entry. The day after Jesus went into the temple and cleared it out. I wonder... Have the animals been moved back in already? Or are they still out in the fields, in the shops, in the streets? Has the temple been cleaned? Or is it still filled with the dirt of animals? Well, we don't know. Jesus doesn't want us to know. He doesn't need us to know. But what we do know is that when Jesus cleared the temple, it was a messianic act. That means when he went into the temple, he claimed to be king of the Israelites. By clearing the temple, he was saying, this temple belongs to me. You see, the temple was the place that was protected by the king. It was the king's job to protect it, to watch over it 
to supply what it needed. In fact, the word for temple is the same word for palace in Hebrew. It's the same word because it is the king's purview to watch over it. And so when Jesus comes in and clears it out, he's saying, I am king and this is mine. And I say that this does not belong here. And so the, the elders of the court, the chief priests of the temple, come to him and they ask him, by whose authority are you doing this? What they're really saying, if you read between the lines, they're saying, who anointed you? You see, in order to be a Messiah, which means the anointed one, you have to be anointed by someone. You have to have oil on your head. David had Samuel. Solomon had Nathan. But Jesus, who do you have? What prophet anointed you? And Jesus responds by saying, this is a few weeks ago, reach back into the recesses of your memory. Jesus responds saying, John the Baptist, was his baptism from men or from God? He's answering their question. He's telling them, John the Baptist was the prophet who anointed me. This is all set up for this Sunday. You see, after he asks them that question and they refuse to answer him, he then gives them three parables to drive the point home. To tell them, John the Baptist was the prophet who anointed me and I am your king. We are now in the second of the three parables. And in case you miss it, there's this thing called an inclusio. There's this, it's a, a reminder. It's, a, it's a, a marker put in the scriptures that says, hey, go back a few verses and reread what you just read because I want you to connect the dots. It's verse 46. In verse 46, Matthew quotes verse 26. In verse 26, the, the, Pharise- I'm sorry, the elders of the court who were supposed to know the Messiah when they saw him, the chief priests who were supposed to know the Messiah when they saw him, ask Jesus, or tell Jesus, uh, refuse to answer Jesus by saying, if we say that John the Baptist's baptism was from heaven, from God, then he'll ask us why we didn't repent. And we don't want to deal with that question. And then verse 26 says, but if we say it is from a man, we are afraid of the people, of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. And in verse 46 this morning we read, and although the Pharisees were seeking to arrest Jesus, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. Matthew wants us to connect the dots. But why? Well, there are three main features of this parable that I want us to drill into a little bit. They are the preparation of the vineyard, the miserable wretches, and the unsuspecting and unrepentant audience. The preparation of the vineyard. If you look back at Isaiah chapter 5, what we read this morning, if you read the psalm again that we read this morning, and if you look back at the beginning of the parable we read this morning, you will see this love song, this beautiful God coming into a vineyard and preparing it lovingly. He digs it. He cares for the ground. He 
takes out all of the thorns. He puts up a fence around it. He protects it. He does a lot for it. And in fact, Isaiah is saying, God has spent centuries, millennia even, preparing you for repentance. You are meant to produce good fruit. You are meant to be the light of the world. That's what Isaiah is saying to the Israelites. And now, today, Jesus says a parable to us, and he is reinterpreting Isaiah for us. He is saying, you are the light of the world. And God has spent much grace and mercy preparing the ground for people like you and for me. The miserable wretches. Hmm. See, this is a parable about repentance. But actually, it's more than that. It's a parable about unrepentance. It's a parable about the crowds around Jesus, those who are supposed to know who he is, refusing to repent. And so when I read something like this, I like to ask myself, who am I in this parable? Let's see, am I Jesus? No, definitely not Jesus. That's not me. Am I the Pharisees? No, I was taught in Sunday school that they're the bad guys, so I can't be the Pharisees. That leaves the tax collectors, the prostitutes, and the sinners. Well, I don't know if I want to be one of them. Well, who am I in this story? I think you and I are left with that question on purpose. Are you the Pharisee? Or are you the tax collector and the sinner and the prostitute? You see, the Pharisees are actually a caricature of us, of the churchgoers. In this story, they represent you and me, the people who come every Sunday to church, the people who come and sit in the pews, who receive communion. And there's a choice in this parable for people like you and like me. But the parable isn't really about who we are, but about who we are going to be. Who will we be when we leave this room? When we leave this church, will we have repented? Will we have turned our hearts and minds back to Christ? Will we love our neighbors as ourselves? The miserable wretches. You see, the Pharisees refused to understand the parable. In fact, there's this beautiful moment that's, uh, that's just like uh, when King David is brought, uh, when Nathan goes to King David and he says, he says this parable about a sheep. And David says, that man who wronged that other guy should be murdered. And Nathan says, you are the man. Jesus does the same setup here. He has this parable, asks what should be done to these tenants. And the Pharisees, not realizing they are the tenants, refusing to repent and humble their hearts, say they should be murdered. And they're talking about themselves, but they don't understand until the last verse. There is a choice to be made in this parable. Jesus is rebuking the Pharisees for not understanding who John the Baptist was, for not understanding that we must humble ourselves, repent, and love our neighbors. 
And so there's a choice for us to make. Will we include the other in our church? Because that is what Jesus wants the Pharisees to do in this passage. He's talking about tax collectors and prostitutes being invited into Israel. You see, many people have misconstrued this passage, thinking that it is about Jesus taking the temple away from the Israelites and giving them to Gentiles. That's not what it's about. It's about the temple being taken away from the Pharisees and the elders of the temple and being given to prostitutes and sinners and tax collectors who are willing to repent and believe. So now is the time for us to examine our hearts. Will you choose to tolerate those who are not like you? Will you choose to tolerate those who plan to vote in a different way from you? Who want to vote blue when you're red, or red when you're blue, or green, or whatever color you think you are? Will you choose to tolerate them? But better yet, will you choose to love them, to bake cookies for them, to hear them out, and to really listen to them, to wash their cars, to turn the other cheek when they wrong you? Yes, even that one. Even that person who has hurt you. Will you choose to spend time with people who have different masking practices from yourself? Now this is a scary one because you might get sick. It's a real consequence. Or you might have to wear a mask that you feel violates your freedoms. But you might also gain a brother for eternity. We are called to love our neighbors, to love those who are not like us. We are called to love our neighbors as ourselves. Do not store up for yourselves treasure that fades. We should steward it, yes. We should take care of our bodies. We should protect ourselves when able. We should vote because we have the freedom to do so. But every blessing, your health, your freedoms, your house, the table where you eat, every blessing is from the Lord and has a stated purpose. You are blessed to be a blessing. That's what Isaiah's audience missed. That's what the Israelites missed. And listen to Isaiah because Isaiah's prophecy was fulfilled. Israel was laid desolate, and Jesus now tells us this parable in a new temple that also lays desolate, so that we can come before him and eat this morning the true temple, Jesus' body. There are two kinds of fruit in this world. There is eternal fruit, and there is rotting fruit. And God has given us as Christians through the Holy Spirit the ability to taste that freshness and that rotting. In a vineyard, you only have a short window of time to harvest the grapes, to juice them, to add yeast, to ferment them. And if you don't get it done in time, then bacteria gets in and destroys the grapes and their juice. In the Lord's vineyard, however, the fruit of our love for one another 
it might have a temporary consequence, a temporary flavor for us, but it has an eternal finish. And when we fail to love our neighbors, when we fail to love those who are not like us, then let us listen to this parable. Let us humble our hearts and try again. Repent and dive deeply into the wellspring of Christ's love because he has died to save the prostitutes, the tax collectors, and the Pharisees like me. Hallelujah.